Well, we are working our way through the book of Nehemiah in a series that we are calling Gospel Rebuild. The book of Nehemiah is about a group of people who came back from exile to the city of Jerusalem and they found that it was in ruins. They received God's grace. God brought them back home. But not only did God bring them back home, He began to put them back together again. And so, with that theme, we're calling this series Gospel Rebuild, and we're thinking about how the gospel rebuilds our lives and our families and our church through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word, Nehemiah chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Now, when the wall had been built, and I, Nehemiah, had set the doors, and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot." And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it, these were the people of the province who came up out of captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his town. Names and numbers, names and numbers. Verse 66. <laughs> I didn't have it in me to read it this time. I thought about hitting play on my Bible app like some of you do accidentally every single week and just letting it uh, read all the names, but I just, this passage took a couple of months off my life. So, <laughs> verse 66, after all the names and numbers. The whole assembly together was 42,360. See, aren't you glad I didn't read all those names? 42,360 beside their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337. And they had 245 singers, male and female. Their horses were 736, their mules 245, their camels 435, and their donkeys 6,720. Now some of the heads of fathers' houses gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 derricks of gold, 50 basins, 30 priests' garments, and 500 minas of silver. And some of the heads of the father's houses gave into the treasury of the work 20,000 derricks of gold and 2,200 minas of silver. And what the rest of the people gave was 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,000 minas of silver, and 67 priests' garments. So the priests 
the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants, and all Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. This is God's word. Let's go to him in prayer. O Lord, our God, we are truly blown away by the riches of your scripture. Lord, we ask simply that you would speak, for we, your servants, listen. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you are building a brand new city from scratch, what is the first thing that you would build in that city? A house, a hospital, a school, maybe a grocery store. You're going to need some groceries. What about a Chick-fil-A? I think I might build a Chick-fil-A. What about a coffee shop? How do you even build a city without coffee? You're definitely going to need coffee. Would you build a church? If so, what kind of church would you build? Would you build a traditional church where all the pastors wear ties? Would you build a trendy church where all the pastors, except me, have tattoos? Would you build a church for old people? Would you build a church for young people? Would you build a church for some people? Would you build a church for all people? What makes a church a great church? What makes a city a great city? What makes a family a great family? What makes a person a great person? This morning we come to a transition point in the book of Nehemiah. We're halfway through. In the first six chapters of Nehemiah, Nehemiah rebuilt the wall. In 586 BC, the Babylonians tore down the wall that protected the city of Jerusalem from people like the Babylonians. And so, for the the wall around the, the city lay broken and in ruins for 140 years. Nehemiah returned from captivity among the Persians and he rebuilt that wall. He prayed and he planned and he preached. And after 52 days of back-breaking labor, the wall was finished. The city of God was restored. Or was it? Was Nehemiah finished rebuilding the city? Well, it turns out that Nehemiah was just getting started. It turns out that while the walls were repaired, the people inside the city were still broken. The people lacked vision. The people forgot who they were. The people forgot the glories of their gracious covenant Lord. And so, for the next six chapters, Nehemiah will rebuild the people. For the next six chapters, Nehemiah will rebuild the church. How did he do it? How do we do it? Well, it all starts with firm foundations. You can't rebuild your own house without firm foundations, and we can't rebuild the city of God without firm foundations. Remember, Jesus said, a wise man builds his house upon a rock. 
A wise man builds his house upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. A wise woman builds her house upon the gospel of God's grace. We can't be a vibrant, joyful, wonderful people without firm foundations. That's why we're going to spend a few moments this morning talking about the spiritual foundations of a healthy church. Now, there are many. This chapter doesn't highlight each and every one of them, but I want us to focus on three of them this morning, three foundations of a spiritual healthy church. The first is healthy leaders. Healthy churches have healthy leaders. The second thing we'll see is skilled musicians. Healthy churches need skilled musicians. We sing our theology. A gospel that does not sing isn't good news. And finally, we have active members. A healthy church is not a healthy church without active members living missionally and sacrificially and joyfully in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What makes a healthy church a healthy church? Are we a healthy church? Are you a healthy person? Are there any cracks in your foundation this morning? And should you go to Nehemiah 7 to find names for your children? <laughs> Bebay and Backbuck and Barkos. Those are great names. We've been neglecting Nehemiah 7 for far too long. So with all that in mind... Let's take a closer look. First big idea, healthy churches need healthy leaders. Now, earlier in this series, we noted that Nehemiah was a great leader. In fact, most books and sermons that you hear about the book of Nehemiah focus on Nehemiah's amazing leadership gifts. Nehemiah was a great leader, and we begin to see that even in the first few verses of, of Nehemiah chapter 7, as Nehemiah appoints faithful leaders to be under shepherds underneath him to guard and lead the people of God. Now the question is, what kind of leaders did Nehemiah appoint? What type of leaders should we as Christian people follow? charismatic leaders, people who are handsome and charming and funny and clever, organized leaders, people with a, a CEOs and MBAs, educated leaders, people with MDivs and DMins and PhDs. Well, the first thing that we see is that a healthy church needs a plurality of leaders. Healthy churches need more than one leader. Verse 2, Nehemiah writes, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. After Nehemiah finished building the wall, he appointed not one, but two leaders to look after the spiritual needs of the city of Jerusalem. Together, they provided spiritual leadership for the people of God. Now, if you're new, you may or may not know this, but our church, Pinewoods Church, has a plurality of leaders. We have elders who look after the spiritual needs of the people. We have deacons who look after the, the physical needs of people, their material needs. We have 
pastors who are teaching elders. I'm a teaching elder. Pastor David is a teaching elder. Pastor Sean is on his way to being a teaching elder. He's almost ordained. He's just got one step less left in that process. Now, I am the senior pastor of the church, but I am not the only leader of this church. In fact, we would say very clearly that Jesus is the leader of this church. And all of us who are under-shepherds and deacons work underneath Jesus Christ to look after the spiritual needs of the people. It's ultimately all about Jesus. It's all about Him. We're simply part of the team. Now, that's important because the book of Proverbs reminds us that without counsel, without people counseling together, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. Healthy churches have a plurality of leaders. We're many leaders under the one king, Jesus Christ. Now, the second thing we see in this passage is that healthy leaders are godly leaders. Verse 2, Hananiah was more faithful and God-fearing than many. In our world, competence is king. It's all about what can you do. In the church, character is king. It's all about who you are. Yes, we need musicians who can play their instruments and we need preachers who can preach and teachers who can teach. Next week, David mentioned we're having the annual uh, Pinewoods Thanksgiving meal. If you can't cook, if that's not part of your skill set, please bring rolls. Uh, so skills matter. Skills are important. But character is king. More than anything else, we need godly leaders in the church. We need leaders who are faithful and fruitful. We need leaders who love Jesus and shepherd their family and reach the lost, people who have a heart and compassion for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Leaders who are amazed at God's grace. Leaders who are humbled by the power of God and enthralled by the wisdom of God. Healthy churches need godly leaders. The third thing we see here is that healthy churches need trusted leaders. You may or may not have noticed this, but Hanani was Nehemiah's brother. They knew each other. They grew up together. They trusted each other. Hanani had a proven track record of leadership. Now, again, David mentions this earlier, but from now until the end of the year, we are taking nominations for deacons in the church. We hope before you go home today, you'll grab one of those sheets, look through the qualifications for deacons, pray about it, talk to people about it, maybe pray that God would have you serve as a deacon in this church. Now, there's one of two ways that that nomination can happen, and I've seen it both ways. Okay, the first is that you can nominate someone without a proven track record, hoping that through the miracle of the title, that they will become a faithful deacon in the church. The other way is to find someone who has demonstrated faithfulness. 
without the title, someone who's already been serving as a de facto deacon in the church, and then give them the title of deacon so that they can carry out their office as God has called them to do. Someone who's been a deacon long before the nomination process began. Now, guess which one works? Please tell me that you know which one works. Okay, you go with a person who's already a deacon without the title because healthy leaders are trusted leaders. They're people with a proven track record of faithfulness. We need those kind of leaders in the church. We need people like Hanani. Now, the fourth thing we see about leaders in healthy churches is that healthy churches need attentive leaders. We need leaders who are listening Specifically, leaders who are listening to the voice of God. Verse 5, Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. How did Nehemiah know what to do? Well, he knew what to do because he was listening to the voice of God. Well, how do we do that? Well, we read our Bible. The Bible is the word of God. Timothy says that it was breathed out by God. And so when we hear God's word, we're hearing the voice of God. There's nothing in the Bible that disagrees with God as if God's word could ever be separated from the person of God. So we read the Bible, and in reading the Bible, we hear the voice of God. But not only that, we pray We go to God in prayer, and in doing so, we may or may not hear the audible voice of God. Many people do. I do not. But we go to God in prayer, trusting that God will speak to us through that prayer, that he will align our hearts and our circumstances, which change, with the unchanging plans and purposes of God. Through prayer, we get a sense of where God is leading us, which we then confirm by reading the word. Now, as one of the leaders of this church, my chief calling is to listen to the voice of God. It's to read the word, it's to pray, it's to listen to what God is saying, so then I can tell you what God is saying, not only as we gather here on Sunday mornings, but in Bible studies and small groups and one-on-ones and phone conversations, I can't tell you what God says unless I'm listening to the voice of God. Moms and dads, you cannot tell your children what God says if you're not listening to the voice of God. You can try, but kids are pretty bright and they will smell a rat a mile away. If you are telling them, hey, let me tell you what God says, and it's very clear that you are spending no time at all listening to God, your words will have no credibility at all. Now, that sounds a little bit harsh and maybe a little bit direct, but it's very, very important. We have to be attentive whether we're leaders in the church or leaders at home in our family, whether we have leadership roles at work, We have to listen to the voice of God. Healthy leaders are attentive leaders. 
Now, the fifth thing we see here is that healthy churches need organized leaders. Nehemiah was a very organized person. Amen? He kept very, very meticulous records. Just look at this list. If you go through the list, you will see very precise numbers. 2,172, 372, 652, 2,818. These aren't estimates or guesses or rounded numbers. Nehemiah knew the exact number of the people who had been enrolled with the early settlers who returned to Jerusalem. Now, I sometimes joke with you about my uh, plans and lists. I do really have a reading list that I do every year. And yes, it is on an Excel spreadsheet. And yes, I updated it this morning. And I do have a plan for how many cups of coffee I drink in the morning. And I have certain ways of doing certain things. But that's important. It's important to be an organized leader because without organization... Things fall through the cracks. But not just things, people. Without organization, people fall through the cracks. See, this isn't just a list of names, it's a list of people. All of these people and all of these places mentioned in Nehemiah 7 matter to Nehemiah because they matter to God. People matter to God. We read in the Old Testament that we are chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world. All of our names are written in his book. He knows our frame. He knew knew us when we were still being formed in our mother's wombs. And people matter to God. The details always matter to God. Organization matters to God. And so if you are an engineer or a mathematician or a scientist or Marie Kondo, God loves you. And so do I. We need organized people. Healthy churches need healthy leaders, people who lead and love like Jesus. People who are willing to lay down their lives to lead others to him. Here's the second big idea. Healthy churches need skilled musicians. As a church, we don't just talk about Jesus. We sing about Jesus. In verse 66, we're told that there were 245 singers in Jerusalem. In verse 44, we are told that 148 of those singers came from the family of Asaph. If that name sounds familiar to you, it's because Asaph wrote 12 of the Psalms that are in the book of Psalms. In verse 1, the singers are mentioned before the Levites. Who were the Levites? The Levites were part of the tribe of Levi who assisted the priests primarily in teaching people the word of God. So the singers are mentioned before the Sunday school teachers. Why do we have so many singers? And why do we have so many musicians? And why do we have people who come every Sunday morning to work on the sound team? And it's because a healthy church is a singing church. The gospel is good news of great joy for all kinds of people. Jesus Christ died on the cross to save sinners, people like me. He died on the cross to give us everlasting, 
abundant life if you're not singing that good news. If you're not praising Jesus, there's a good chance that you might know Jesus in your head. But that knowledge of him intellectually has yet to translate into a heart of compassion and adoration and awe and wonder at the glory of who Jesus is. If we don't sing our faith, it's possible that we don't understand who Jesus is or what Jesus does. Now, does that mean that every single one of you should sing on the worship team? No, we only need 245 people on the worship team. It's in the Bible. Here's what it does mean. That each and every one of us should sing. We should make a joyful noise to the Lord our God, the God of our salvation. Now, we don't need to necessarily sing as loud as the worship team sings. We don't necessarily need to sing as well as the worship team sings. I don't. But sing. Sing for the glory of God. Sing with passion. Sing with emotion. Music is a gift from God. The gospel is something to sing about it. And as a quick aside, I will say, as not only a pastor, but as a dad, just a quick word to the dads. Dads, when you sing with all of your might and all of your joy, you preach a greater sermon to your children than I will be preaching today. That simple act of faithfulness, letting them see your heart, letting them see your emotion, letting them see that the gospel is not merely a mathematical formula that exists on the pages of a dead book, but that it is your life and hope and joy. When they see that, they will be profoundly impacted. Moms, the same thing goes for you. Sing with joy. As a church, we need skilled musicians. Third big idea, last one. Healthy churches need active members. Nehemiah tells us something, three uh, very interesting things about the people of Jerusalem. The first is that they lived missionally. They lived missionally. Verse 4, the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. The first exiles came back to Israel, and they had been back in Israel for 71 years by the time Nehemiah finished building the wall around the city of Jerusalem. In those 71 years, most of them lived on farms outside the city of Jerusalem. They didn't live in Jerusalem until Nehemiah arrived, because until Nehemiah arrived, the city didn't have any walls surrounding it. In the ancient world, a city without walls was a very dangerous, less than desirable place to live. A city without walls would be like a house without doors or an apartment without locks. Would you live in a, in a house without doors? Would you live in an apartment without locks? I used to live in New York City 20 years ago, and I had three locks on my doors. And uh, if you wanted to give me a couple more of them, I would have taken them. I felt a little bit nervous in there, but I wouldn't dream of going into an apartment without locks. That's essentially a city without walls. 
Now, here's what's so amazing about this story. After 71 years of the first exiles returning to Israel, living on farms, raising sheep, raising agriculture, after 71 years on the farm, 100% of the leaders and 10% of everyone else moved back to the city of Jerusalem. They gave up their comfort. They sacrificed their convenience to live missionally. They moved to the city because they wanted Jerusalem to be a city on a hill, a light to the nations, a place where people would see glimpses of the grace and glory of God. Again, not everyone has to move. Not everyone has to uproot and replant themselves in overseas missionary locations. Uh, Tony and Amber and their family have done that. God's call is for their life to do that. Reba and Jesse are getting ready to do that. Going to Tokyo, praise God for that. Not all of us can do that. But all of us can live missionally. All of us can see every moment and every opportunity as a chance to talk to people about the God we love, the God we serve, the God who died, sent Jesus to die on the cross for sinful people, people who don't have it all together, so that many, many people will find life and hope and salvation in the kingdom of God. The second thing that we see is that they gave generously. In verses 70 to 72, we're told that the people gave roughly $12.5 million to the work of the church. Nehemiah himself gave somewhere around $500,000. The wealthy people in the community gave $6 million, and everyone else in the community gave $6 million. It wasn't an even split. The people with more money gave more, but everyone gave. They gave gold, they gave silver, they gave clothing. Listen, if you want to put a pair of jeans in the offering plate when it comes around later... I wear a 3230, uh, 3130 if I hold my breath. But, you know, listen, put them in there, man. I'll wear them. The point is they gave what they had. If they had gold, they gave gold. They had silver, they gave silver. They had clothing, they gave clothing. There was such a radical spirit of generosity that flowed through the community that they rejoiced to give to the work of the city. They rejoiced to see God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Healthy churches have a spirit of generosity. Now, we've not yet made, made it to the $12.5 million budget range, and yet whatever we give, we will use for the glory of God, for the salvation of lost people, for the care of people who are hurting in our community, in our state, and even around the world. Healthy churches are generous churches. Heeding the words of Jesus who reminds us, freely you have received, freely give. The third thing we see is that the people served variously. Some were teachers. Again, remember the Levites were basically Bible study teachers, Sunday school teachers. Some were singers. We talked about them already. We love our singers. Some were gatekeepers, which 
is exactly what it sounds like. They kept the gate. Some were temple servants assisting in various ways. They would grab chairs and set up tables and do whatever the priests and the Levites needed them to do. They all worked together to make Jerusalem a better place for everyone. They used their gifts to serve the church. They weren't part of the studio audience. They weren't people who were just here for the show, watching and observing and never getting their hands dirty. Every member of the church was actively involved. Healthy churches have active members. Nehemiah and his friends weren't just rebuilding a wall. They were building a church. The leaders led sacrificially. They gave up their lives, laying down their lives for the people. The musicians played skillfully, turning the gospel that we know in our heads into the gospel that we feel in our hearts. The members lived missionally, gave generously, and served variously in various aspects of the church. These are some of the spiritual foundations of a healthy church, a church that is built on the rock, Jesus Christ, and the gospel of his amazing grace. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for Nehemiah and Hanani and Hananiah and all the priests and the Levites and the singers and all the men and women who came together to make Jerusalem a beautiful place. I pray that we would be inspired by their example, that we too would seek to make our church a beautiful church and our families beautiful families and our city and our world a different place because Jesus changes everything. We thank you for his mercy and his grace and we pray this in his name. Amen.